Good evening and welcome once again to our Bible study series. We are continuing along in the study that we have entitled Out of Bondage into Abundance. And we're looking at the whole story of Israel coming out of Egypt, traveling through the wilderness, and going to a land flowing with milk and honey that God prepared and promised for them. And we've seen that it wasn't a simple one-step journey. There were different steps, different phases to them moving from Egypt to the promised land. The scriptures say he brought them out to take them in. So there are two distinct parts to the story. One we're about to complete, and that's to get them out, out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. And then the second part of the story is to move them in to a place where they can actually possess the promised land, the promised inheritance, to really occupy and live in that which God had prepared and promised for them. Uh, just a very quick recap. We saw that after 400 years of bondage, oppression, and slavery in Egypt, it was only through the blood of the Passover lamb that God brought the children of Israel out from Pharaoh's yoke of bondage. And the Israelites were quite happy that, that night as they were finally free men and free women but very soon thereafter, they found themselves in a second very frightful and very trying situation where Pharaoh's heart changed, it was hardened again, and he got all of his uh, armed men and horses and chariots and came running after the Israelites to drag them back into bondage. And... The children of Israel, by no accident, were led by God to a place where they were trapped on every side. They came to the shore of the Red Sea, the water in front of them, and Pharaoh and all of his armies behind them. And they had no place to go. And Moses began to cry out to God. The people were all afraid and crying and, and you know, telling Moses, we should have never listened to you, we should have stayed in Egypt where we had a better life than this, and on and on it went. Long story short, God told Moses, have the people stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God was going to demonstrate something more for them beyond all the signs and wonders and plagues they had witnessed in Egypt, including the final one, which was the uh, putting to death of all the firstborn in Egypt, and the blood of the Passover lamb protecting them and delivering them. But now he's going to show them his power. And he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And as we mentioned last time, um, they were saved by the blood of the Lamb. There's no doubt about that. They were saved. They, they were delivered out of Egypt through the blood of the Passover Lamb. But they've now come to a second stage 
if you will, in their salvation. They need once again to see the salvation of the Lord. And this time, it's not that the Israelites need to be delivered out of Egypt. Egypt is now coming after them. And God has to do something with Pharaoh and all of the Egyptian armies. And we saw last time that in the Red Sea, God did a number of amazing things. He showed his power and his glory both to the Egyptians and to the Israelites, but he brought the Israelites through on dry ground, safely arriving to the opposite shore. He put to death all of Pharaoh and his armies. And one key verse that I think we ended with last time, the Israelites saw, note that word saw, God kept showing them things that he wanted them to see, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Bible says they saw the bodies of all the dead Egyptians laying on the shore when they got to the other side of the Red Sea. And without going through all the details again, you can get both the notes and the recordings for any of the previous studies in this series that you've missed, uh, you can go to new-life-ministries.org and you'll find all of the materials there. Um, We want to finish uh, one last little portion on this part three of their experience at the Red Sea, and then we want to try to move right into part four which is a very, very significant part of this whole study, and we'll probably spend uh, a good deal of time on this next section. So here we go. Let's try to finish up first at the Red Sea. It would seem that God gave the Israelites two contradictory commands, stand still and go forward. But that's exactly what he told them, at the Red Sea. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then he tells Moses, have the people go forward. Move on. And with everything God did for them, had they not obeyed that simple command and started marching forward, Pharaoh would have dragged them all back into Egypt. And it demonstrates clearly the need for two vital ingredients in their salvation and in yours and mine. Faith and obedience. It's always the same story. God is looking for a faith that leads to action. A living faith that produces actions in our lives. They could have stood on the shore of the Red Sea and said, we believe, we believe, we believe, Moses. If they didn't move, if they didn't start marching, they would have all been slaves that very night again back in Egypt. So they trusted God and they obeyed God. They started to march. God brought them through safely Then he rolled the waters back over Pharaoh and all of his armies and drowned every last one of the Egyptians. And 
If you're following along in the notes, we've come to page 31. Uh, this is just the last section of part 3, but a very important point we want to make here before we move on to part 4. The experience that Israel had at the Red Sea, we have looked at many, many scriptures to show this parallel. It is very clearly a picture of New Testament water baptism. Very oddly, Paul even uses the word baptized in 1 Corinthians 10 when he refers to the children of Israel going through the Red Sea. It's never referred to as baptism in the Old Testament. But through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God opened Paul's eyes to see what the Israelites experienced at the Red Sea was really a foreshadowing of a far greater victory that God would bring in your life and mine when we obey the Lord Jesus Christ through water baptism. We saw in Romans chapter 6 that the old man, the old self, is crucified, dead, and buried in the waters of baptism so that we can be freed once and for all from the dominion, from the slavery of sin. It's a, it's a marvelous picture, the children of Israel crossing through the Red Sea. They reached the other shore very much alive, very well. Pharaoh and all of his armies who wanted to drag them back into that old life of slavery, they were all lying dead on the shore. And the Christian who has put his trust in the blood of Jesus Christ is set free. No doubt about it. He is saved the minute he puts his faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and confesses Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. However, Romans 6 and many other scriptures that we looked at make it very clear there's more to the story. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached uh, to the multitude there, and they asked, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. And the Bible says, all those that accepted his message, his gospel sermon, all those that accepted his message that very day were baptized. They didn't need a 10 or a 12-week course on how to become a new believer. That very day, they jumped in the water and they were immersed and baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So it's the first simple baby step of faith that we take after being born again. And we've been referring a number of times to a key portion of Scripture in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. Jesus talks about three experiences, being born again, born of water, and born of the Spirit. He said, 
unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But you must be born of water and of the Spirit to enter the kingdom. I think it, it's very simple to understand. There's a distinct difference between seeing something and entering into it. Our eyes are opened when we're born again. We see that God has a kingdom. We see that there's a spiritual life that we can live now. But we can enter it only through two further experiences. Birth talks about a new life. Birth talks about a new experience. Born of water, which corresponds to water baptism, and born of the Spirit, which we're going to look at next. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The New Testament very clearly talks about two baptisms. Baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Israelites saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore, something happened to them. The Bible says they put their trust in or they believed in God. Exodus 14.31 They believed in God. Something happened to their faith. They were supercharged with confidence now after seeing what God did there at the Red Sea. They received a new faith, a new confidence, and remember, one of the revelations that God gave them, one of the demonstrations that he wanted them to witness there, was that the Lord is a warrior. The Lord fought for them in the waters of the Red Sea. And after seeing that with their own eyes, they had a new confidence. They had a new assurance that the same God who fought for them in the Red Sea would fight all of their battles right through to the end and bring them safely into the land flowing with milk and honey. As we will see later on, there were a number of enemies, giants, nations, things that needed to be overcome in order for them to fully possess the promised land. God was giving them a demonstration right here at the Red Sea of his power. And we saw in Colossians 2 verse 12 that there's an operation of God's power in water baptism. It's not just a ceremony. We don't get in as a dry sinner and come out as a wet sinner. Something is transformed in a person's life when they take water baptism. And we gain a new confidence that God is going to fight my battles now. He's going to help me overcome every obstacle, every temptation, every enemy. And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. And because of that, in Exodus 15, we read part of it last time in verses 1 to 12. Man, they had a tremendous praise service after witnessing God's power at the Red Sea. And I'm going to read just a few of these verses over again because I like them so much. But you can read the first 12 verses 
of Exodus 15 yourself. But it says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. Hear, hear their faith coming alive now. The Lord is my strength. He has become my salvation. He is my God. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. And on and on they go with their praise song to the Lord there on the shores of the Red Sea. I want to pick it up a little further down, though, in Exodus 15. And we're going to read from verse 13 to 18. And something different you find in this part of their songs and their declaration. They're actually beginning to prophesy and proclaim and declare that it's already a done deal. The promised land is ours. God is going to take us in, and we're going to possess the land that he promised for us. They had a tremendous faith now that God was going to fight for them and safely lead them into their promised inheritance. All right, Exodus 15, starting with verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. These people are on a tremendous high right now. They've witnessed a mighty miracle, and they're just full of faith. There's nothing that can stop them now. They're feeling like we're going to march right in and possess the promised land. All of the enemies, all of the giants, they're trembling with fear because they know that God is with us. He is a warrior. He's going to fight all of our battles. 
He's going to lead us, he's going to guide us, and he's going to do everything he promised for us. If only, and I have to underline this, if only they had kept that kind of faith and confidence, indeed, they would have marched right in and possessed the promised land. Little did they know it would take 40 more years after singing this song before any of them stepped foot in the promised land. That's a sad part of the story, which we will have to examine in greater detail later on. But my point is, you can tell from this song in Exodus 15 that whatever they saw, whatever they experienced there at the Red Sea, it supercharged their faith. They are more than conquerors now. They are ready to march in. Listen to what they're saying. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the Philistines. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. These are all enemy nations that they would eventually have to conquer. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone. They have a confidence now in God's power, working on their behalf, fighting their battles, giving them glorious victories. And notice especially how they're confessing and declaring their faith. That's important. Real faith, we learn in 2 Corinthians 4, speaks. Paul says, we have believed, therefore we speak. We should speak what we believe. And actually, we do. And sometimes, what we speak isn't very good. And the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It also says the power of life and death is in the tongue. But here, they were really declaring with their mouth that they believed in God and they trusted that he was going to do everything he had promised them. Notice again in verse 13, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people. You will lead the people you have redeemed in your strength. You will guide them to your holy dwelling. And then look at verse 17 again. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. It's talking about the promised land. You're going to do it. You're going to bring them in. You've now brought us out. You're also going to take us in. As I said, God had triumphed with such a glorious victory at the Red Sea that just as they declared in their song, uh, in verse 16, terror and dread is going to fall on all the nations when they hear that we're coming, that really did happen. And we'll see that in the next verse. But news of what happened at the Red Sea, it spread far and wide, causing all of Israel's enemies to quake and to tremble. 
as I mentioned, it would be 40 years before they would actually cross the River Jordan into the Promised Land. But just for a minute, let's fast forward for 40 years. 40 years after they sang this song, um, and we're getting way ahead of ourselves in the story, but I just want to make a point here. 40 years later, as they are about to cross the River Jordan into the Promised Land, we read in the book of Joshua the story of Rahab the harlot and how she hid two Hebrew spies on her roof. And in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, we can see the literal fulfillment of what the Israelites were prophesying in their song there at the Red Sea. Joshua 2, verse 9, Rahab said to them, the two Hebrew spies, I know that the Lord has given this land, remember they're now in Canaan, in the promised land, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Why were they so afraid? Why were they stricken with such fear? What was it that melted them away? Verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Stop right there. News of the Red Sea has gotten all the way into the Promised Land long before the Israelites got there. That's amazing. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God in heaven above and is on the earth below. Sadly, the Israelites didn't maintain that spirit of faith and that confidence for very long. They quickly, the Bible says, forgot what God had done for them. And very oddly, their hearts melted with fear, while the enemies that they were fearing in the promised land, their hearts were also melted with fear. And all their courage had left them because they heard what God did at the Red Sea. Just as the Israelites experienced this tremendous victory and this tremendous infusion of faith and confidence, in the same way, when you and I, we may be babes in Christ, we may have just been born again ten minutes ago, but when we are baptized in water, something tremendous begins to happen in our life. The baptized believer begins to walk in a new faith, in a new confidence, in a new victory. 
knowing that his old self has been crucified, dead and buried. He has been raised now by the power of God to walk in newness of life. And his new faith and victory makes even demons tremble. It says in James chapter 2, verse 19. So why are we afraid of demons when the demons are afraid of us? Why were the Israelites afraid of the Moabites and the Canaanites when those enemies were trembling with fear over the Israelites? doesn't make any sense. Through water baptism, we are assured that God is for us. He's always going to cause us to triumph. He's going to make us more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Before we close out this third part on the Red Sea, there's one more very important thing that happened here at the Red Sea, and it's going to lead us right into part four. After they passed through the Red Sea and sang their song of victory there on the other shore, something we haven't really concentrated on yet, I want to come back and look at now, in their song, is found in Exodus 15, verse 2. And unfortunately, most of the later translations translate this verse differently than you will find it in the King James. And the King James is often very close to the original Hebrew uh, or Greek, if it's the New Testament. And so I want to read this verse to you from the King James and then comment on the word that may be translated a little bit differently in some of our other more modern translations. Exodus 15.2 The Lord is my strength and song. He is become my salvation. So far, that's pretty much what we read in the NIV. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And here's where it changes. And I will prepare him an habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. That's totally different from the King from the NIV. Let me read from the NIV again. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. All it says in NIV is, He is my God, and I will praise him. Here, in the King James, it says, He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. How can you have such two totally different translations of one word? Well, let's go into this a little bit. The word that's translated habitation is the word nava. And it means literally to keep at home, to prepare an habitation or a dwelling place. That's literally what it means. 
And I think the King James got it right. Keep at home, prepare a habitation, or to prepare a dwelling place. Um, the NIV sounds good. He is my God and I will praise him. But that praise him part is only found in later translations, and it's not anything close to the original meaning of the Hebrew word nava. Nava really does mean to keep a home or to make a house, a dwelling, or a habitation. Now, let's think about this a little bit more. They've just been baptized in the Red Sea. They've just come through the waters of the bap of baptism, if you will, in the Red Sea. They're now declaring victory. They're singing praises to God. He's going to take us in to the promised land. And I am now going to prepare him a dwelling place, a habitation. I find this very fascinating. Having been baptized in the Red Sea, God's people are now already announcing prophetically their readiness for the next great step in God's redemptive program, which we're going to look at next time, is to prepare a dwelling place for God. That's exactly what happens in the next step of their journey when they come to Mount Sinai. God reveals to Moses the plan for a mobile tabernacle, a tent where God would dwell and move about with the children of Israel as they traveled through the wilderness into the promised land. So this is interesting that they are already saying, I will prepare him a habitation. This shows in a figure one of the important purposes of water baptism, and it is to prepare the believer to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit by which he becomes God's temple or God's habitation. Much, much more about this when we come to part four, but this is critical to understand. Water baptism is a vital step of preparation for us now saying, Lord, here I am, I am going to be your habitation. I am going to become your temple when you baptize me with your Holy Spirit. And in part four, we're going to see that as the children of Israel come to Mount Sinai, a number of significant things happen there, but one of the most significant things, and it takes up almost 50 chapters of the Old Testament, is the revelation of this tabernacle, a dwelling place that God now wants them to prepare for him. He, he's going to tell them, you make me a sanctuary, you prepare me a place where I can dwell among you. And so, having passed through the Red Sea, having seen the power of God, having been assured that God is going to fight all of their battles, 
and take them into the promised land, this final step toward coming to Mount Sinai is their declaration, I will prepare him a habitation. 